Well, hey, Heritage. I want to welcome all of you across the network to week two of our Building Blocks series and this second week into our new year. I know many have set some personal or professional goals at the start of the new year, maybe around health or fitness or just around a habit or the use of your time. And I wonder how you're doing at this point. I mean, the reality is some are doing well and some are not doing so well. But did you know that many people consider this to be the most depressing time of the year? That they've actually given it a specific date and a name. It's called Blue Monday, and it's this coming Monday, and it's considered to be the most depressing time of the year. They've even given and developed an equation to, to validate the perspective. Here's the equation. It, it, it's weather plus our debt minus our salary times the time since Christmas and the time since we broke our first New Year's resolution divided by the lack of motivation and the need to take action. This seems kind of legit. <laughs> Feels a little true. It's not. There's no real science behind this. It is, it is not true. But I tell you, when the Christmas bills start to roll in and the few extra pounds from those Christmas cookies are, are there and, and you maybe have broken the New Year's resolution already, whether you had a running plan or a reading plan, that can all kind of drag us down. But the great lie or misperception of New Year's is that we only have one chance at the beginning of the year for a new beginning. But if you're with us last week, you know we looked at the reality that because of who God is, every day gives us the opportunity to engage in a new beginning. And so we're starting our new year by taking a few weeks to understand how we make the most of those new beginnings, uh, to understand the principles that allow us to build on. It's the, the building blocks that allow us to get where God wants us to go and to become who he wants us to be. So when we started the conversation last week, we looked at the very first building block, which we identified as spiritual intensity. Spiritual intensity, that's spiritual vitality. It's our passion, the priority of our spiritual lives. It's the strength and the intimacy of it. It is the foundation of our life. It is birthed out of brokenness, not strength, and prayer is its primary expression. And spiritual intensity defines far more in our life than we realize. And you can check out the whole conversation online at heritageqc.com, but I want to review the, the, the three practical steps we discussed to live into the building block of spiritual intensity. Just simply, they are to first recognize your next, to, to look for your next, to look up for the next and for the need, but then to lay the foundation in prayer, to, do, to go to God and get it confirmed, but also in prayer to get the plan for what to do in that next, which then leads us to be able to start where we are. Because we all start somewhere. We need to be able to start where we are. Now, this is the starting point, but it's not the stopping point. Spiritual intensity is the first building block, but there are four other building blocks that we're going to talk through through the course of our journey. And the very next one is grounded in spiritual intensity. And if you're using your note guide, the very first fill-in frames for us the second building block. Here's the, the statement. It's that spiritual intensity leads to faithful risk. Spiritual intensity leads to faithful risk. It leads to what? Faithful risk. It's the second building block in our conversation. And I want you to understand, these are not sequential building blocks. 
The, the reality is, though, that spiritual intensity is kind of central to all of them. And, and prayer is a primary expression of spiritual intensity, but so is faithful risk. Faithful risk is an expression of spiritual intensity. We see it all through Scripture. What went from David facing Goliath to John the Baptist proclaiming the coming of the Messiah to Paul preaching in the Roman Empire. Spiritual intensity leads to faithful risk. And faithful risk is not random. It's not irresponsible. It is an expression of discernment leaning, leading to response. It's not reaction leading to decisions. It's a process of discerning that leads us to respond. And in some sense, faithful risk is stepping into places we wouldn't want to go without God. It's, it's going places that if God does not go before us, we're in trouble. Spiritual intensity leads to faithful risk, an expression of dependence out of faithfulness. Now, I want to unpack more about that in a few moments, but I want to get to a, a practical example of this in the life of one individual, out of Scripture. And if you're with us and we kicked off the series last week, you know that this building blocks conversation is rooted in the life of one man named Nehemiah. It's in the book of Nehemiah. And so, if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and click or turn with me to the second chapter of Nehemiah. If you find Ezra in the Old Testament... Esther, right in between, is Nehemiah. And one of the unique things is that at the end of the book of Ezra, it's, it's a 15-year gap to the start of the book of Nehemiah, chronologically. And, and the book of Nehemiah itself fits in the larger narrative about a thousand years after Moses and still 400 years plus before the arrival of Jesus. But the last we saw Nehemiah, he was praying out of brokenness. He had heard about the situation of the Jews in Jerusalem, that their wall was still down, and that was an uh, issue of security and safety and protection and just constant tension and attack that they were exposed to. And, and he's praying out of that reality that for 150 years that thing had been down. But as he learns about that reality, he begins to pray. And we're going to pick up in the conversation right after that, because in that whole journey of the wall being down, others had tried to rebuild the wall, but had failed. And there was almost this sense in, in the identity and thinking of the people that it was an impossible task. It was just, it was too big. There were too many challenges. There was even too much opposition. So the people found themselves living in the rubble and living in trouble because of it. But that's all about the change because of Nehemiah's spiritual intensity and willingness to faithfully risk out of that. So let's take a look. I'm going to read it out of the scriptures here. You can follow along on the screen or you can use your note guide or your own Bible. But this is Nehemiah chapter 2 starting with verse 1. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. Now at the end of chapter 1, we learned that Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. It was his job to test the king's food and drink to make sure it wasn't poisoned before the king ate it or consumed it. So he's doing his job in this moment, but something to catch is a nuance that this month of Nisan is four months after the month of Kislev, which was what happened in chapter one. So at the end of chapter one, there is a four month gap before we start in chapter two, verse one. So Nehemiah had been in a process and journey of his own spiritual intensity of praying all along that four month window. In fact, the, the scriptures don't always fill every gap of time. The, the time between the, the Old Testament to the New Testament, the, the last book of Malachi in the Old Testament to the first book in the New Testament, Matthew, there's a 400-year gap in there. And in this case, there's a four-month gap between chapter 1 and chapter 2. 
So here's where we're picking it up. He said, I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king asked me, why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid. Now, this is not a Blue Monday scenario. <laughs> it's not the weather and debt and other things creating sadness for Nehemiah. He, he was a guy who was heartbroken over a people he'd never met in a place he'd never been to. Now, you may think, well, he's just caring. He's a caring guy. Well, that's not why he was sad. He may have been and probably was a caring guy. But his sadness was because he was a spiritually intense guy. He was someone who who had the heart of God and shared the heart of God for the things that broke the heart of God. And so he had sadness because of that. But there was a problem. He also had fear. It said he was very much afraid. Now on the surface, we may think, well, that's just the nervous fear and anxiety of a big deal. Like the, the pressure to deliver is pushing in on him. We can think of like going to a, a job interview or a hard conversation with a family member where we can feel that anxiety beforehand. And I got to tell you, Nehemiah certainly understood the complexity of the conversation he was about to have and, the, and some of the pressure around it, but that's not why he had fear. In fact, it wasn't nervous anxiety. Literally, it was, it was terror. Literally, you could, could say it was, he was terrified. And that kind of seems out of place from what appears to be a very caring question from someone he had a unique relationship with. The, the king and the cupbearer had unique trust and rapport, had to be that way. And we would think that his response would be relief, not terror. That it would be gratitude, not fear. But you have to understand what Nehemiah was doing in that moment, and honestly what he's about to, to do next, he was committing a capital offense. He was committing a crime punishable by death. You see, the belief was that the king was so revered that to show up in his presence with sadness would be an insult. And Nehemiah being in the presence of the king, he was committing a crime he could be killed for. So he faced fear because he faced death. But here's the thing. Spiritually intense people would rather die for what is right than live in what is wrong. They would rather give their life for what is right than, than to just sit in a passive state of what's wrong. It's true and it's seen throughout Scripture. If we jump to the New Testament for a moment to the man named Paul, he wrote these words in the book of Acts. He said, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. He's saying, look, I value the purpose and plan of God ahead of my own life. And, and as much as Nehemiah was in this awkward, dangerous space with the potential of the outcome being execution. He, like Paul, valued the will of God over his own comfort and safety. But I have to tell you something about faithful risk. One of the greatest obstacles to faithful risk is our current comfort. And an unwillingness to lose it or forfeit it. It's our current comfort that often becomes the obstacle to living into faithful risk. But Paul and Nehemiah both valued the will of God more so than their own comfort and well-being. And that allowed them to live in ongoing faithful risk. In fact, they understood one other reality. It's the next fill-in in your note guide. That faithful risk is a precursor to divine provision. Faithful risk is a precursor to divine provision. 
That, that faithful risk component is the, usually the thing that allows God and positions God to respond in our life. It, it frequently is the thing that, that precedes his power, his intervention, his, him showing up with action. It's the thing that precedes and is the precursor to his provision. So spiritual intensity leads to faithful risk. And the situation that Nehemiah was in was not a problem, but an opportunity. One that God had been preparing for years. And he's about to provide through it. But the precursor to it is that faithful risk of Nehemiah. Faithful risk out of spiritual intensity is the precursor to divine provision in our lives. Nehemiah's position in exile, Nehemiah's position in, in the king's palace, his heart breaking for the people of Jerusalem, all positioned him in a moment to step in faithful risk. Let's take a look at it as we jump back into the scripture. Verse 3, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Saying, look, I, I'm trying to honor, not dishonor you. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Now this whole situation could have been looked at as offensive, as, 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 as an insolent death wish almost. I mean, the king of Persia is somebody, and the Persian Empire had conquered lots of people and oppressed lots of people. Yet Nehemiah had been engaged in a spiritually intense process for four months. The prayer that he had been praying in a journey for four months, is, four months is now about to be answered fully in what happens in this exchange. And the work that God had been doing in Nehemiah all along that journey now positioned God to be able to work through Nehemiah in this moment. Because he continued to recognize his next, lay the foundation, and start where he was. He allowed his spiritual intensity to lead to that faithful risk, even though he was facing death before the king. Spiritual intensity leads to faithful risk. Look at what happens next, verse 4. The king said to me, what is it you want? So this is a huge turning point. This has gone from a conversation leading to execution to a conversation leading to collaboration. It's a shift. Faithful risk is the precursor to divine provision. God holds the hearts of kings in his hands, and he is He's turning this conversation towards his purpose. But it's still a big deal. The, the pressure is still on. There's, there's implications for how this plays out. So in that pressure, it would be easy for us to think that Nehemiah would immediately answer the question with, well, here's the deal, king. Here's my plan. Here are the things I need. This is dot, 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 dot. And just getting busy and down to it. That's not what he does first. The first thing he does is goes back to laying the foundation and he goes back to prayer. Take a look at what it says, second part of verse 4. Then I prayed to the God of heaven. Recognizing the next, laying the foundation, and starting where he was. Verse 5, and I answered the king. There's a lot riding on this situation for lots of people. But even Nehemiah, you got to understand, Nehemiah had a great job. He, in some sense, had arrived. He had great benefits. He was living in the palace. The question was whether he would live in faithful risk and be willing to release that, release that comfort. Would he, would he be willing to step in faithful risk? Now, now he was. He, he actually steps up and he steps into faithful risk, but he does it out of prayer. He, he begins to pray, but he does it not in a weird way. He, he doesn't like make it a hyper-spiritual moment where it makes the king feel awkward. 
I mean, maybe you can think of a time where you've been in a situation, you're in a conversation with somebody, and it turns to this spiritual thing, and suddenly it just gets weird, kind of odd, even creepy sometimes. I, mean, I think there are sometimes that Christians, people who walk with Jesus, can, in their own discomfort, in a space like that, make it uncomfortable for everybody. They just act kind of creepy, even odd. <laughs> let me, if you're not thinking about what I'm talking about, let me show you what I mean. And I want to do it in just a, a few moments of a video, and it's with the help of a comedian named Michael Jr., and, and he, what he does is he presents truth and love with laughter. And so I want to invite you to just sit back and enjoy this for a moment. Because with Blue Monday looming, it's a good thing that we can laugh. <laughs> but also to understand that spiritual intensity is not supposed to lead to relational intensity. So sit back and take a look. Be a Christian either for a long time because some Christians are creepy. There's some creepy Christians. It's creepy everything. It's creepy Muslims, but some Christians is creepy. You ever had somebody, they talk about God and they voice change all of a sudden? Like, yo, man, how you doing? Oh, I'm cool. Can I tell you about the Lord? What is wrong with your voice? What's wrong with your voice? Or somebody start praying in the middle of your conversation? You was just having a conversation. Yo, you see the game? That was a good game. Man, that game was good, God. We just thank you for being so holy, Lord. You're so awesome. I'm like, are we praying right now? You are creepy. Because you got different types of Christians. This is what I found out. You got Christians who are cool. You can hang around with them. Iron sharpen iron relationships. Right? Then you got Christians who may have a little limp in their walk. They got the hat on, but the shoes don't match. Then you got Christians who, I'm just going to put this out there. You ever know somebody that was oversaved? <laughs> don't look at them. Don't look at them. <laughs> you can't even have a regular conversation with them. He's like, hey, man, I'm thirsty. You thirsty? Thirsty for the Lord. <laughs> thirsty for the Lord? Hey, I lost my keys. Could you help me find my keys? You need the keys to the kingdom. I'm like, yeah, I didn't drive a kingdom. Yeah. I drove a Toyota. I know as soon as I said oversaved, some of y'all had somebody in mind, but if you didn't, somebody had you in mind. You could be oversaved. You ain't know it. Now I gotta let you know that you're oversaved. A couple indicators to let you know you're oversaved. Just a couple indicators. Um, if you don't mess around with computers because they got a cursor, Sorry. If you rebuke vacuum cleaners, because it's a dirt devil. I got an aunt that's oversaved. She messes up television shows for us. We're watching Extreme Makeover Home Edition. The beginning of the show, they always tell you the sad story about the people. My aunt gonna start praying for them. Lord, help them get a new house, Lord. Just. They're going to get a new house. They're going to get a new house. She's like, yes, you got to believe. I'm like, you got to have cable is what you got to do. <laughs> oh, man, that's some good truth in love with a little bit of laughter and maybe hit too close to home for a few. But listen, I think there's a temptation for us to think that spiritual intensity leads to relational intensity. That's not the case. I think we think that spiritual intensity should lead to that relational intensity where, where we can 
function in that awkward space where we can be obnoxious, where we can be overly aggressive, where we value the, the mission over the person, judgment over grace, we end up being oversaved sometimes. But spiritual intensity doesn't lead to relational intensity. It's supposed to lead to faithful risk where we boldly but yet humbly step out. And that's exactly what Nehemiah does. I mean, he begins to pray, but he prays in a way where it wasn't creepy. (laughs) In the middle of the conversation, he starts to pray, but it wasn't awkward for the king. It wasn't excluding the king. In in some sense, he didn't know how the whole thing was going to work out. But there is this dynamic of spiritual intensity leading to faithful risk. There was an internal and an external. He was praying, but yet he was talking. Let's take a look, jump back into the scripture. It says, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. He doesn't get preachy. He doesn't get into an oversaved dynamic where it's creepy or awkward. He he doesn't demand anything or become pious in it. He just humbly remains submitted to the Lord yet still burdened for the things of God. And so he prays, but it's not a weird spirituality that freaked out the king. He just simply asked the king in partnership to come alongside to help rebuild the city, to seek the peace and prosperity of the city. And then the truth is, we can do the same. When we understand spiritual intensity doesn't lead to relational intensity. I mean, spiritual intensity is not a time thing. It's not like it requires 30-minute chunks. Spiritual intensity is a relational thing. That doesn't lead to relational intensity, but it leads to faithful risk. It's relationship with God and us in a way that doesn't necessarily create the creepy feel. And and Nehemiah is in a space asking for partnership. We can sit in similar spaces and 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 see God show up. We can talk to our boss. We, we can talk to a coworker, or a friend or, or we can talk to a family member or, or somebody just down the street, a, a clerk in a store or a waitress. And when we do it with honor and we do it with respect and not creepy, well, then God shows up and, and, and in that moment leads us to a next reality that God's power prevails in present circumstance. Out of our spiritual intensity, when we step in faithful risk, submitted and humbled, seeking to honor God and those around us, God's power prevails in that present circumstance. We see it in the first five verses of chapter 2. We'll see it in verses 6 to 11 here in a moment. Because we've got a dude who's in exile. He He has committed a capital offense, but his heart is broken for a problem. And that ultimately positions him to step. His faithful risk leads to provision. Because God's power prevails in present circumstance. It prevails over kings. It prevails over tragedy. It prevails over problems and opposition and so much more. But we have to be willing to to function within the limits that God sets. It, It happens within certain parameters. Many of you have heard me say before that just present the concept of risking beyond recovery but not beyond God's cover. That's a reality that undergirds this entire conversation. It is is a foundational truth for us and how we function as a church. And it's important to understand it, but also know when we're doing it or not doing it. So just hang with me for a moment. Let me unpack it. See, the idea of, of risk is that risk is not inherently bad. There is good and bad risk. We can have good risk in investing our finances. We have good risk with, with childbirth. We have good risk in relationship. But risk is not inherently bad. Good risk 
is for good and it's for God. But whenever we step into a place of risk, there is a bit of a, a limit with where we can recover or not as we step into that risk. The, the space that we can recover is where we have control. It's where we can function even independently. We can do it on our own. It, it's, it's actually very comfortable to be in this space. But when we risk beyond that, things change. And spiritual intensity allows us to risk beyond this. Now, going too far is bad. We need to understand how to risk into a space that is still good. Re beyond recovery, but not beyond God's cover. And so the, the, the distinction in that space is whether or not we are under the cover of God in that risk. So we're talking about his principles and his plan. His power for his purpose. And God only imparts his power for his purpose. So as long as we're risking still under his cover, this is a beautiful place for us to be. Now we can't always explain it, can't always justify it. And quite honestly, in our humanity, we often want to have full understanding of this space and agree with God that we need to do it before we ever step into it. But I got to tell you, God does not value our understanding and agreement in this. He values our trust and obedience in this, where we faithfully risk out of spiritual intensity. So the question is, how do we actually get into a space where we risk but yet remain? Well, that comes out of spiritual intensity. It comes out of prayer. It comes out of recognizing next, laying foundation, and starting where we're at. As we pray and listen to God, we can sit in a space where we risk, but yet remain. And in that space, we're not just looking to decide something and react. We're actually looking to discern something and respond. It's very different. And we don't want to go out and beyond because that's not a good space. We see, we, we can want to have understanding and agreement as a priority in stepping into a space like that, but God prioritizes trust and obedience out of faithful risk. He wants us to step into those moments where we demonstrate dependence in our faithfulness because God's power prevails in present circumstance when we live in a posture like that. It prevails over those who could overpower us. It prevails over those who can prevail against us. And for Nehemiah, that was in the context of an audience with the king, a king who didn't share his spiritual beliefs. But one of the ways that God's power prevails is that he influences the influencers. God influences the influencers to bring to bear his purpose. He does it out of our faithful risk. He does it in an expression of his provision. He provides. It's less about helping us as it is about his purpose prevailing. But his his purpose and his power prevails amidst present circumstance when we seek to risk but yet remain. Nehemiah understood it wasn't his job to change the heart of the king. He knew that was God's job. So what he did is he prayed and he left it up to God. He didn't go around dropping hints. He didn't go around trying to manipulate the king. He just went about his business doing his task with honor and respect. Let's see what actually ends up playing out though. In verse 6, here's what it says. It says, And the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, How long will your journey take and when will you be back? So it's clear the king has recognized the legitimacy of the need that, that Nehemiah has identified. But he's in attention to embrace Nehemiah's priority or his own priority. To embrace the security and welfare of the Jews in Jerusalem or his own security and welfare. Because in order to release Nehemiah, it was going to cost him something. To, to step in risk means releasing some level of comfort. And the king was in a process of figuring out what does that mean. And he asked the question. But again, God holds the hearts of kings in his hand. And he gives Nehemiah favor in this moment. 
We don't actually know the details of the answer, but we do know that Nehemiah says, it pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. (laughs) Go big or go home, Nehemiah. (laughs) But and because the gracious hand of my God was on me, my king granted my request. Remaining under the cover, even in the risk. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and a cavalry with me. When Sambalot the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. Now, we'll hear more about those knuckleheads later. (laughs) But I want you to recognize in the scriptures how spiritual intensity leads to faithful risk. And how faithful risk is a precursor to divine provision, incredible provision. It's, it's not always provision around money and resources and things. It's, it can be fa- resor- uh, provision around favor or opportunities. For Nehemiah, it was, uh, it was authority, it was resources, and it was protection. Faithful risk is the precursor to that divine provision. And that divine provision allowed him out of the building blocks to chase God's next. And it says, he says, I went to Jerusalem. And that's a a three-month journey and 800 miles. We'll get more into what happens after that next in the future, but let's go to so what? What do we do with this conversation? What does it mean for us as we process this? I want you to understand something. There are no overt miracles in the book of Nehemiah. There are no recorded healings. There's no resurrections. It is simply a story of God answering prayer by providing favor and strength and resources and wisdom. Spiritual intensity leading to faithful risk and faithful risk being the precursor to divine provision. Divine provision can be supernatural. It can just be in the natural. It doesn't have to be this crazy miracle. It can be God providing through others, even others who don't walk with him. And and in a great time of need, God shows up and proves himself to be a great God. And the same can be true for us today. We can experience his greatness, but we have to be willing to forfeit our comfort and release our control and live in faithful risk out of spiritual intensity. And if we're going to do that, it inherently means that we will risk beyond recovery, but not beyond God's cover. Said it before, we've talked about it before, we're going to talk about it again. Risking beyond recovery, but not beyond God's cover. Here's the tension in this entire concept. It is that we risk, but remain. It's that we go, but stay. It's that we work, but wait. It's being and doing. It's foolish, but wise. Risking but remaining. If we're not willing to do this, there's an implication for us spiritually. But if we're willing to risk and remain, well, God begins to bring provision and people and things into his purpose to see it realized so that his purpose prevails out of his power. But if we're not willing to do this, 
it will immediately affect our spiritual intensity. And our spiritual intensity will begin to shrivel when we're unwilling to step in faithful risk. And oh, by the way, he'll find somebody else to do what he wants to do because he's God and he won't be stopped. You know, God does not place everything he asks us to do in this space. Not, not everything he calls us to is always out here on the edges and fringes. Things show up all along the continuum. But whenever something does show up out here, we need to be ready to step in faithful risk. Beyond recovery, but not his cover. Look, I, I think the, the question I want to put before each of us as we process this is simply this. Where is God inviting you to risk and remain this week? Where is he inviting you to risk and remain? He, he has positioned you very uniquely where you are. Not like anybody, anything else. He's positioned you and I like no one else. Where is he inviting you to risk and remain for his purpose and power to prevail? Maybe it's in the context of a relationship where he's actually asking you to forgive He's asking you to even try again in that relationship. Not to step beyond his cover into something that's unhealthy or unsafe, but to step into a space where you need him to show up, but you're doing it in his power, and so he wants to do something unique. Maybe it's more in the context of going to a next level of obedience around a habit or the use of your time or talent or treasure. Where, where is he asking you to risk but yet remain in that? Perhaps you're in the midst of a trial, a really difficult season, and you want to quit, but he's asking you to remain in that space so he can do something unique. He asked Nehemiah to remain in exile for a season of years to be able to then step into the next. Whether it's a job change or any other dynamic, where is God inviting you to risk but yet remain? If, if we're not willing to release our comfort, offer that up and release our control, we will not take the risk when it comes. But if we are, and we're willing to trust and obey, rather than simply understand and agree, well, then God will do something people thought was impossible. God wants to use you and I. He wants to work through us as a church in our cities. The bottom line is if we won't step in obedience, he'll find some other way. But there's a ripple for us that immediately affects our spiritual intensity and it begins to dry. And we can end up in spiritual deserts, so to speak, wondering where he's at. We don't always have to live in that outside space, but when he invites us there, we need to step. Because he wants to work in and through us and doing things that bring him honor and glory for the good of others and, and for his glory as God. Sometimes they're big and sometimes they're scary. Nehemiah encountered some fear along the way and we may encounter some fear in our own journeys, but Nehemiah was willing to risk and remain. It reminds me of a quote from Francis Chan that frames the concept for me. Here's what he said. Our greatest fear should not be of failure, but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter. That's good truth. Good reminder. Spiritual intensity leads to faithful risk. Where is God inviting you to risk but yet remain? I don't know about you, but I would rather die for what is right than live in what is wrong. And as a people of God, as a church, I want to invite you, us corporately and you individually, into living that way in your life, publicly or privately. Faithful risk can be public or private. It can be big or small. But it's about that spiritual intensity and spending the time with him that allows us to know the difference of remaining or not. You know, Nehemiah, 
In chapter one, he, he demonstrated spiritual intensity that led to deeper spiritual intensity. In chapter two, he demonstrated that next level spiritual intensity that then led to faithful risk as he stepped beyond recovery, but not beyond God's cover. And God showed up. And when God shows up, it doesn't always mean there's a lack of trouble or problem or hardship. It just means that he brings his power to bear and it prevails against the present circumstance for his glory. We'll talk more about what that meant for Nehemiah as we lean forward in the journey. But as a church, we're committed to living like this in all of our investments. One of the most obvious examples of doing this is the acquisition of the former Kone building. Man, that, that was a process of of recognizing the next, of laying the foundation and starting where we are. And, and God has continued to show up in that. You may not know or understand that, that we spent a year in prayer and conversation as a leadership team before we brought the conversation to the body at large. And then we spent another half year working through that together in prayer and a process before we stepped into purchase. Having acquired it now, we're getting ready to step into the, the occupation phase of it more fully. And, and there will be more opportunities for us to recognize the next, lay the foundation, and start where we are as we risk beyond recovery, but not beyond God's cover. Again, he doesn't always, he doesn't ask us to live out here in an ongoing, perpetual, everything is here. But when those things come, we need to be willing to step. We need to be willing to say, all right, Lord, I'm ready. And we'll continue to do that as a church. And I want to invite you to continue to do that. Because wherever God is inviting you to risk, but remain, I hope you're ready. And if you're someone who is still trying to figure out whether you can even talk to God or have a relationship with him. This covering comes through a relationship with God through Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus, this cover is imperceptible, but also much smaller. In Christ, the covering of God to step into this dynamic is so much greater. So if you don't have a relationship with God, through Jesus, I invite you to, to step into that today in the back of the note guide or the, is a prayer and a way to do that. You can do that on your own right where you're at. Once you do, once we live in that space, now we can risk in both this space and this space, beyond recovery, but not beyond his cover. And I'm grateful for the chance to do that. And I pray that when your opportunities come, that you will step, recognizing the next, laying that foundation and start where you are and watch God do things that people thought were impossible for his glory. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I, I thank you that in a world with all kinds of distractions and even the idea of a depressing season, that you love us and you are working good and a purpose and a plan for us. And I pray that you would find us to be a people who are spiritually intense and are willing to step in faithful risk. God, I I know my brothers and sisters are all facing different things, some great and exciting, some hard and painful and sad. But I pray whatever is next, whatever we're in, that we would have the courage to step beyond recovery, but not beyond your cover. That we would sit in spaces where you get to show up and by your power, you prevail in that present circumstance. So whatever it is, Lord, I pray you'd continue to speak as we step into worship through song. I pray that you would continue to, to just recognize or help us to recognize where you're asking us to go, where you're asking us to risk beyond recovery, but not beyond your cover for your glory. Wherever you're asking us to risk and remain, Lord, may, you, may we hear that from you today as a church and as individuals, and may we step boldly for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.